0: following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that the Christmas season is upon us, but first let us give thanks for the ability to give thanks that Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Lord, we pray safe travels for all those who are traveling during this time. I pray today as we finish up this series on how we invest in your kingdom, that you would teach us what it means to be a people who take what's given to us and invest it back for the good of the mission that you've given us. In your son, Jesus' name, amen. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about what we call the five capitals, these five ideas of how do we invest the gifts God has given us. So those five capitals are financial capital, physical capital, intellectual capital, relational capital. Today, we're going to talk about spiritual capital. Now, of those things, we order them in that direction because it's a flow chart moving up that we can stack those things on top of each other. Now, while it might seem sometimes like churches can get caught up and reverse that and say, listen, financial capital's at the top. Sow a seed of $1,000 today, it'll be 10,000 in five years. Can't make that promise. I don't know what your tithes, your offerings are gonna do, but I trust that when God gifts us with finances and we go around and use that for the kingdom, that he's going to work in that somehow. We talked about physical capital. What are the things you can do With your hands, your feet, what are the things you have that you can bless other people with? Intellectual capital. How can you train and teach people the things you know? We talked about the process that we see Jesus using, that we see many good teachers using. That's I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. That we can do this with anything. Last week, we talked about relational capital that God has blessed us to be in relationship for the purpose of his kingdom, both with believers, with non-believers, with folks who are close to God, those who are far away. Today, we're gonna talk about spiritual capital and how that becomes the pinnacle of all of those things. So to give you some examples, I wanna share with you some people in my life who used these principles, sometimes probably without even knowing, but did it. So first are these three men. Um, This is my dad, Brian West, and John Williams. All three of these men have invested in my spiritual life for most of my life. Uh, My dad, obviously, for a very long time, some would say as long as I've been alive. Uh, Brian was an associate pastor who started working at my home church when I was in college. But when I would come home, And even while I was at school, he would spend time connecting with me, discipling me, pushing me for more, and and really actually was an incredible gift in my life to ask hard questions when I didn't want to give hard answers. You know, when I thought I had it figured out, he had the right question to ask me to redirect where I was going. And then John Williams had a big impact on my life. He was what we call Director of Christian Education, DCE. So he did education, youth group, middle school, high school confirmation, and invested in me deeply. He was a man who not only invested in me for the work of who I was as a person, he wasn't only the office I went to when I was in high school to complain about you know, all the high school angst things that you complain about, but he let me be bad at music before I was good. He gave me opportunities to lead when I was very green and he continued to invest in me along the way. And these three men used their finances, their physical nature, what they knew, the relationship we had to help me grow as a follower of Jesus. Now there's another group of people that poured into me quite a bit. This is a the Wise Women's Council, so named by themselves. So my mom is over here in the polka dot dress, but then you have JD, Teresa, Denise, Ruth, and Vicky, And these are all the moms of my closest friends from middle school, high school, and even before that, some of them. And what they figured out when we were all in high school and causing trouble, was if they got together for lunch a couple times a month, they could game plan against us. It worked horribly against us because you would roll in when you were a junior in high school at maybe 11.45 when your curfew was 11.15. And you know, mom's waiting for you and you get in. She goes, excuse me, what time was curfew? You go, but mom, Levi, you know, his curfew's midnight. So I just stayed out a little bit later. But no, no, no. The Wise Women's Council had discussed. They knew everyone's curfew. You could not pull a fast one at all. And so they kept us in line, but also what we knew is they were praying for us. This picture is from a wedding that happened a couple months ago of one of the younger brothers from our group of friends. These women still get together. They still pray for us. Every time I'm home, I get cornered by each of them individually to ask how it's going, to ask how church is going, how life is going, how Chelsea and I are doing, and cornered's the wrong word, but they come and talk to me. I have learned lessons from every one of them as second mothers in my life, that they invested in all of us, in incredible ways. And that they continue to pray for us, to check in on us. And what I'm told is we're their children for life, no matter how old we get, which can be brilliant and annoying all at the same time. Because you just wanna be like, I'm 35. I'm almost an adult. As we talk about spiritual capital, I bring these people in not because they're perfect examples, but because my hope is that you have examples in your life that you can look and say, there are people in my life who invested in me for the sake of my growth in faith and love of the Lord. They may be related to you, they may not be. They may be people who you met a couple times or people you have known for a lifetime. But you see what happened in these cases is I can look back and say, there were times where there was financial investment in us. Vicki Sitton, who was next to my mom in that picture, she fed us every Friday and Saturday night from middle school to high school because they had the pool. And so once we were done for the day, we all ended up at the Sittons and there were a lot of high school boys and we were always hungry. But I know that Vicky still prays for me today because she talks to me about it. And that's true for all of those people. They invested us financially, physically, intellectually, relationally, spiritually. Because you see, you take those four things and when you combine those four things and it ends with the good news of Jesus, that's an investment for a lifetime. And this shows up throughout scripture. So we have our reading for today, which we'll get to in a second. But I want to look at three different examples because we have Jesus who does this, we see Paul do it. And then I want to give you an example of just a quick moment of it from two people named Priscilla and Aquila. So first, let's see how Jesus capitalizes to invest spiritually in people. So first from Mark chapter 1. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed. And I love this idea because here Jesus is inviting them in. Come follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Which honestly, if I'm, actually fishing for fish. I don't know if I'm getting up right away to follow Jesus because I'm like, listen, are we we throwing nets on people? Is this like the slave trade? Like what's going on here? But they get up and they say, there's a rabbi. We're going to follow him. And then what happens is Jesus walks with these men for three years. He as the rabbi would have raised funds for their living he would have invested financially in them. They're physically walking everywhere. He's performing miracles. He's teaching them. We get all those other capitals combined. Look at who else he calls in Matthew 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, fishermen is one thing but to call a tax collector to follow. These are the people who are pulling in taxes, not just for the government, but for an invading government that is crushing the people. But Jesus looks at a tax collector and says, come follow me. You're worthy of my time. You're worthy of these capitals that I have. And he invests in the disciples for those who follow him. We can see it throughout the New Testament. He calls the disciples, but it doesn't stop there. When was the last time you went on a hike? What's so great about a hike, a walk, whatever it is, is the time you get to spend in between. Sometimes it's frustrating, but you get to spend time with people in between. That There's that slow point where you would just be trying to get where you're going, but now instead there's time to kill. And Jesus uses that time to train, to teach, to lead the men and women who follow him to build and invest the spiritual capital he has. What about Paul? Paul writes to a young man named Timothy, and we see this is our reading from today. And I just wanna focus on this last verse on the screen. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Paul writes to Timothy because he is training him to be a leader in the church that he has come alongside Timothy because he sees the giftings that Timothy has. Now, what's great about this is he sees it because he sees a mother and a grandmother who have poured into him spiritually. That Timothy, when Paul approaches, already has knowledge and love of the Lord because others have been pouring into him. But Paul sees him and goes, listen, you can do this. You can lead a church. You can preach the gospel. And he says, listen, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but be set, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, in faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And he talks about his progress, his growth. This is Paul taking all of those things to say, Timothy, you can do it. I'm gonna invest in you for the sake of the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians, Paul will say it like this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul would walk alongside people and say, listen, as I try to imitate Christ, imitate what I'm doing. Let me take all of these other things that I'm doing and put them into a spiritual capital that says, imitate me. How scary would that be to say to someone else? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a tough one. But Paul says, listen, I'm going to invest in you to the point where you see both my failures and the joy in Christ that I can say, imitate me because I'm seeking him. Paul will build Timothy up to be one of the first leaders in the early church. But there are two people and they show up four or five times in the New Testament. And I love it because they're everyday people who don't have a big, like scarring story. If people were to ask me, what story would you hope for your life if it were to be written in the Bible? Priscilla and Aquila, hands down. Why? Because we don't hear about any of their suffering. It's all good things. Maybe you'd say Joseph. Listen, uh, Joseph is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. That dude goes through it. Maybe you say David. We need to have a discussion. Maybe you say Jesus. Agreed, he also died on a cross. Just remember that. But we imitate him, but I love the story of Priscilla and Aquila because they're just everyday people who like the people love. So listen to this from Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers trade. So Paul shows up and meets these people in Corinth and goes, I just want to hang out with you. You make tents, I make tents, match made in heaven. Now, what's great about Priscilla and Aquila is we'll talk in a second here about the next time they show up in Acts. But after that, it's literally Paul just going, listen, I'm with Priscilla and Aquila. They say, hey, or listen, tell Priscilla and Aquila, I say, hi. Right? Like they make it in the Bible because it's like, oh, you've seen Priscilla and Aquila lately? Sweet. Tell them I say hey. Right? Isn't that like the story you want in the Bible? Just tell them, like, I love them. But they do this in verse 26 of Acts 18 here. And this is a brilliant moment of just an incredible example of how the capitals play out in a real life situation. This dude, Apollos, shows up and he is on fire for the Lord and he's preaching and he's teaching. But Priscilla and Aquila go, oof, you're a little off. And instead of standing up and calling him out or like being a jerk, they do this. He, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They weren't rude about it. They didn't yell about it. They just took him aside and said, Hey, listen, we love what you're doing. Can we give you a little bit of guidance? Can we invest in you because we see what you're doing? And we love it. But can we give you a little bit of teaching so that you can do it even better? Throughout Scripture, and especially in the New Testament, we see this investment of spiritual capital. Now, these things are not holy things. We didn't pull these five capitals, like it's not in you know Acts 29, which isn't a book of the Bible. It's not in there telling us, and thus said the Lord, here are the five capitals, right? This is a mnemonic device for us to say, here are five things that we can easily remember to say, God blesses us in so many ways. As we come upon Thanksgiving, if you're looking for a way to say, how do I give thanks? Listen, look and say, how's the Lord blessed me financially? How has he blessed me physically in both what I can do and the things I own? How has the Lord blessed me with the stuff I know? How has he blessed me in the things I can do that I've learned over time? How has he blessed me in relationship? Who are the people that I can give thanks for in my life? And then how can I pray and say, Lord, thank you for the spiritual life you've given me. Because what the five capitals do is it just reminds us of the gifts of God and that they're not just for us to store up and keep there is a temptation for us to build higher walls. There's temptation for us to say, oh, these are my finances and I better stack some higher walls. There's temptation for us to say, oh, this is my time. And so, you know, no one gets in here. I'm not gonna spend it with other people. I'm not gonna give to them. Uh, Or, you know, listen, I spent a lot of time learning this thing. I'm not gonna give it away for free or, you know, listen, I I don't need relationships in my life. I know best. And then it gets to our spiritual life and that then becomes the tallest tower where we say, I gotta know everything right. I need to be right. And I'm not gonna let that be an investment in other people. You see, God gives us these things because he's invited us into mission with him. First off, they are blessings. Blessings right? Like there's no doubt to say what the Lord has given me, I should be rejoicing about because he has gifted us what he has gifted us. So we should be rejoicing and giving thanks for those things. But he doesn't just give for the purpose of sitting still. He gives for the purpose of investment. And so, as we look at those things, they all lead up to the spiritual dynamic of saying, How do I take all of those things and use them to bless others for the sake of the kingdom? We have a simple word for this it's called discipleship. We started one of the weeks talking about Matthew 28, we call this the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now this go at the front end here is an aorist passive participle. And I know all of you just leaned forward when you're like, here we go. Greek and grammar in one sermon in this economy. But it's interesting because I'm not, I'm not a like Greek grammar person. I have friends that they would look at this verse and they could pull it apart and they go, listen. So the verb is here, the aorist is here. This is a participle. And I'm like, right, someone else translated it. Like, good job, those people. But there's kind of an interesting tension here in academia. Because some would argue and say, this is an imperative. The way you should translate this passive participle is an imperative that says, go. Jesus is saying, listen, you go, do it now. And some would take it and say, oh, it's a participle, passive participle. So it is, as you are going, do these things. you know what I say? Yes. (laughs) I don't need to get into the weeds on that because I go, yeah, it's an heirs, passive participle. I know what all those things mean. But whether it's a command or whether it's as you are going, both are a calling on the life of the Christian to go and make disciples, baptizing, teaching as you go, whether commanded or in the midst of your life. Both are the same thing. So we are called by Jesus to make disciples. That's not just a calling for the pastor, for those hired by a church, for those who have had an education in churchly work. This is a call for all of us as Christians to go and make disciples. So what does that mean? Classic question, what does that mean for me on Monday? Well, let's talk a bit real quick. First, what is a disciple? Now, that can be defined in a lot of ways. Number one, Riley. But a disciple is someone who trusts the promises of Jesus and seeks to follow him. That's how we define it here. You can go to different churches and they're going to say the same thing in a different way. It's not wrong. It's just contextualized. But here, this is how we say it. A person who trusts the promises of Jesus and seeks to follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple. We trust centrally in the gospel that Jesus is for us. That no matter what happens, no matter where we are, the core principle of faith that central promise is that Jesus went to the cross for us when we were sinners, not when we were better, not in some future where we have gained his respect, but on our worst day, Jesus goes to the cross and says, this forgiveness is for you. So that's where we start in trusting. But that's the foundation, it's not the end. Because you see, Jesus invites us in that as we trust that promise, he says, come and get to know me. So we seek after him. We dive into his word. We learn how to hear how his word impacts our life. We both study it and apply it. It's not just a dead text, but instead it is ancient words that have impact in my everyday life. That we can do a deep dive academically of scripture and in the same breath say, and this is what it means for me tomorrow. And as we seek him, we find that he has called us to keep going. That he says, listen, you don't sit on the sideline. You're a part of my plan. And so he invites us to follow him into the world. We do that by loving him and loving others. We dive into it together and we seek to connect disconnected people to the message of Jesus and to encourage the body of Christ as we go. Here at Narrative, it looks something like this. We call this our discipleship pathway. We do it as concentric circles. We can dive into this. We're going to be diving into this more but the idea is we start at trusting, we seek, we follow. And then listen, life gets hard. <laughs> Following Jesus is tough. I've had conversations with people over the last couple of weeks that it's like it feels harder and harder every day. The temptation is to go, okay, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I've got to be better. But the reason we did it in a circle is no, we follow Jesus by trusting him more. As we trust him more, we end up seeking him out to find his ways, which pushes us to follow him. And then we struggle with following, we trust him more. And it is a discipleship life of a slinky, right? Where it just keeps going, just forward into our lives. The life of the disciple starts at your baptism and ends at your last breath. but God has invited us to take the gifts we've been given and invest them alongside people to be discipled and to disciple others. I shared last week that I was in New York for a conference, which again is the weirdest thing to say as a pastor, but it was really cool because it was 25 of us from our church body from the Texas area, but we were spread out across Texas the group I ended up being assigned to for this kind of thought project we were working on. We had a guy who lives here in the Pflugerville area. You had me, you had actually a former classmate of mine from seminary who's a pastor in Dallas now, and a guy who leads worship in Plainview. And let me tell you, he had the best phrases. we were talking about Plainview and how flat it was. And he goes, yeah, you know, in Plainview, you can watch your dog get lost for two weeks. And so we had this great time, and what we were talking about was discipleship. And we were saying, how do we do this? And it was great to sit with those guys and, and discuss and think and pray. And the guy from Pflugerville is a guy named Larry. And Larry had this great insight as we talked about discipleship. Because I I believe that for us, the questions we should ask about how we invest in the kingdom, how we invest spiritually, how we do this, there are really two questions we should ask. Who's discipling me and who am I discipling? That we as people of faith need people who are pouring into us and we need to be pouring into others. And what I loved was what Larry said. Larry works for our district and he He worked in the corporate world and then came into the church world. And he said, I just had on my heart, I wanted to work with pastors and help them grow and help them not feel alone. And he said, I used to walk into pastor's conferences praying and going, listen, that's the person I'm gonna talk to. I'm gonna be praying for them. And I'm gonna go up to them. But he had this keen insight where he said, I've changed my prayer. That when I go somewhere and I think there's someone who I need to be investing in, instead of praying in such a way that I would go in and force my way in, I pray for them and pray that the Lord would lead us to conversation. So he changed his prayer just a little bit to say, when I disciple and invest in people, I'm gonna wait to see where the Lord calls me. I'm gonna be proactive that I believe there are people out there the Lord has put in my life, but I'm gonna pray that he creates the connection. So here's my challenge to you. As we've spent five weeks talking about how we do this as a church, how we use these different giftings, how we invest, they all come to a point with spiritual capital and how do we disciple and invest in people. We're going to talk more and more again over, especially in the new year, what that looks like and what are some tools for your toolkit. How can you do it? But here's what I'd ask you to start praying as we get into the Christmas and Thanksgiving season a simple prayer Lord put someone in my way who I can invest in You might have a name already you might have two or three names already that's great But start praying saying Lord who can I invest in Because I guarantee you there are people in your life who need the investment that comes from the kingdom because the spiritual investment we give is to connect people to Jesus over and over and over again, to make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this morning. We give you thanks for the time that we can spend together hearing your word. As you send us out, let us be praying about who we can be investing in. Lord, if, if there are already names that we can think of, be they family members, children, friends, family, coworkers, set up some holy appointments where we see you at work. And Lord, let us use the gifts that you've given to us to love you and love our neighbors. Amen.